Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the Word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. Thank you so much, Joey. And I do want to thank our pastoral family and the pastoral staff for allowing me this privilege. And today's message is going to segue into what you've been learning all through the year, and that is reaching out from a position of strength. And we're going to be talking about dismantling our comfort seat. And I did bring a seat along, and we'll put it right here so everyone can see. And as we get started, I want you to know when I first began ministry, I wore a clerical collar. Not because I was proud or arrogant, but I wore the collar to kind of identify who I was. Well, one day after church, we were invited to a family's house for lunch. There are six-year-old girls just staring intently at my collar. And there was a concerned look on her face. And so I thought I kind of eased the situation. I took the collar off, and I was going to read for her the washing instructions on the back of the collar. But before I did, I asked the question. I said, do you know what it says on the back of this collar? She goes, uh-huh. Really? Are you sure you know what it says? Uh-huh. Then what does it say? Kills ticks and fleas for up to three months. <laughs> collar, the collar left. Never used it again. Just a couple of things I want to share. I am not a long-winded preacher, so keep that in mind. I, though I hope the sermon goes better than the very first sermon I preached, I was so scared, my teeth chattered, God bless America, and my knees knocked, home sweet home, I really wished I was. And homiletically correct, I had to preach a three-point message, so I picked Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Point number one, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. So am I. Point number two, Zacchaeus was up a tree. So am I. And point number three, Zacchaeus got down, and so shall I. But the other thing you need to remember is if this is the worst message you ever heard in all your life, go back to point number one. You won't have to bear it for very long. <laughs> Let's take a look at our scripture text from 2 Kings 7, verses 3 through 15. And before we do, once again, let's come before God's presence in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for these moments together. And we ask once again, as we've already prayed for, that you remove any distractions, anything that may hinder what the Holy Spirit wants to do, in these next few moments. You're in control. This is your moment. And Lord, let our hearts be rendered and open to what you have to say. In Christ we pray, amen. amen. So you may follow along. It's a lengthy portion of scripture, but you can bear with me as I share it with you. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. If we sit here, we die also. And therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall die. <laughs> I don't know if I want to go in 2024 20, with that perspective. No matter how they looked at it, it looked like death surrounded them. And so they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots 
and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried some there also and went and hid it. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they went and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, saying, we went to the Syrian camp, and surprisingly, no one was there. Not a human sound, only horses and donkeys tied and tents intact. And the gatekeepers called out, and they told it to the king's household inside. So the king arose in the night and said to his servants, now let me tell you what the uh, Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry, and we're going to talk about that in a few moments. Therefore, they've gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, when they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. And one of the servants answered and said, please, let several men take five of the remaining horses which are left in the city. Look, we may either become like all the multitude of Israel that are left in it, or indeed, I say, they may become like all the multitude of Israel left from those who are consumed. So let us send them and see. Therefore, they took two chariots with horses, and the king sent them out in the direction of the Syrian army, saying, Go and see. And they went after them to the Jordan. And indeed, all the road was full of garments and weapons which the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. So the messengers returned and told the king. As we look at today's scripture, I think God wants to speak into our hearts about three things. Three things that a coastal family needs to look at as we come into 2024. What God is looking for, it comes in the form of a question, a statement, and an observation. First comes the question. The Lepers are sitting outside the city, and you know why they're sitting there, simply because they were not allowed in the city due to their disease. So they're sitting outside the city, and they're talking about all their options, but then they finally say, why are we just sitting here? You know, that's a great question for the church today, is it not? A great question for people, pastors, congregations. Why are we just sitting here? You know, someone ought to be telling this community about Jesus Christ. Somebody ought to be leading a Bible study for our young adults. Somebody ought to lead discipline classes for our children. Some on discipline, actually discipleship. They need discipline as well, but <laughs> we'll work on discipleship right now. Somebody ought to be reaching the sick and the shut-ins, but not me. I'm far too comfortable in my church chair. And by the way, let somebody else sit in my chair. You won't hear the rest of that story. Well, you know, my wife and I, 
have come across a group called AVB, which is Acapella Vocal Band. And they have a song that speaks right into this. We're going to play it right now. Everybody said that anybody could do the important thing. Somebody should Everybody knows that anybody could do all the good things that nobody did. Well, the preacher came to me and said what I ought to do. If I wanted to make my religion to he do it himself. But he really didn't have the time. He said that the duty was mine. Oh, no. Everybody said that. Well, the deacon came by and said, give me a hand. If you want me going to the promised land, here is something that I don't have time to do, so I better give it to you. Oh no! Everybody said that anybody could not be about to do somebody should not. Everybody knows that anybody could do all the good things that don't Not me! Everybody said that anybody could do. Well, I'm too busy, so I tell everybody. The work's got to get done by somebody. It could be done by anybody, but nobody, 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 nobody did. If I could sing like that, I'd let them off the hook. You know, several weeks ago, this church hosted a banquet in appreciation of all their volunteers, and my wife and I were blown away at the number of people that were at that banquet that did something in this church, filled in in some capacity. But you know, as the church grows, and it will grow, God is blessing in ways that you and I can't even begin to imagine. And now that we're in two services, we need more people to step up and volunteer. I came across the poem a while back entitled Jonah and the Whale, and it has something to say also, almost like this particular song. My dear friends, just listen to me, and I'll tell you a tale that as true as can be. It's as good a story as Daniel or Ruth, and though it sounds mighty fishy, it's every bit truth. Just listen right good, and I'll tell you the tale of how old Jonah the prophet was caught by a whale. The whale caught Jonah, and bless your soul, he not only caught him, but he swallowed him whole. Now, a part of this story is awfully sad about a great city that went to the bad. God saw the people in such wicked ways. He said, I can't stand them but 40 more days. God said, Jonah, go cry to that wicked city now and tell them I'll only allow 40 more days to get humbled down. And if they don't, I'll tear up the town. 
Well, after God has spoken, old Jonah said, I'll have you know I'm true and loyal to my church and I won't go. Those Nineveh people mean nothing to me, and I'm against foreign missions, you see. So he went down to Joppa in great haste and board a ship for a different place. God looked down on the ship and said, I see old Jonah has got the big head. So he set the wind blowing with squeaks and squeals. The sea got rowdy and kicked up its heels. Oh, Jonah confessed it was caused by his sins. So the crew threw him off and the whale took him in. <laughs> the whale said to Jonah, oh, fellow, don't fret. I was sent out here to take you out of the wet. You're going to be punished much right for your sins. And as he opened his mouth, oh, Jonah fell in. It was the funniest sight you most ever seen to see old Jonah ride off in his new submarine. <laughs> well, in a bed of green seaweed, the whale tried to rest. He said, I'll sleep now while I wait for my food to digest. But the whale got mighty restless and sorely afraid from the murmuring inside as old Jonah prayed. Now, you see how God's letter to Nineveh laid in the dead letter's office for three nights and three days. But on the third day, the old fish rose from his bed with his stomach tore up and a pain in his head. He, must said, I, he said, I must get to the air mighty quick, for this filthy old sinner is making me sick. <laughs> so he winked his big eyes, and he wiggled his tail, and he pulled for shore to deliver his mail. When he got to shore, he looked all around. Then he heaved old Jonah clean onto the ground. Oh, Jonah thanked God for his mercy and grace, and then he turned to the whale and made a big face. For three days and three nights, I guess you found you never can keep a good man down. So after resting and drying himself in the sun, he started for Nineveh almost on the run. He said, I must hurry, and I'll surely not sin, for I really don't want to be swallowed again. He arrived in the city about a week late, began preaching the moment he entered the gate, until the whole population had repented and prayed, and the hands of justice and vengeance were stayed. When you're tempted to sin, dear friend, remember this tale. When you're running from duty or sitting, remember the whale. For there are varmints that get you on sea and on land, and a woman can be swallowed as easy as a man. <laughs> so the question needs to be, what can I do? How can I be used? God, what ministry are you already prepping for me? That needs to be our heart's cry. Then second, notice the leper's statement. We are not doing right. Look carefully at their newfound situation. They've gone into the Syrian camp, and there they found food. They found all kinds of material goods, riches beyond their wildest imagination, and it doesn't even matter that they're lepers, that they're in rags, that they're outcast. You know, the message is that Jesus accepts us as we are. And that's a great message for another time. You know, I discovered a newfound excitement in Christians when they first come to know Jesus. The spiritual life, the abundant joy, the untold wealth one finds in his or her relationship with the Lord. But now note the new position. The lepers once were saying, why are we just sitting here? Now they're kneeling saying, God, please forgive us for not sharing the good news. Forgive us for not communicating what we have just received. Do you know, friends, you have the greatest news that this world needs to hear? And I'm going to tell you something. In Scripture, from 
Genesis to Revelation, there's only two times you actually have to share your faith. Just two. In season and out of season. Other than that, you're off the hook. <laughs> in other words, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lieth in you. Always. You know, our son J.D. was the first one to move down here to Palm Coast. Shortly thereafter, our daughter Jeanette and her husband moved here to Palm Coast. And then, of course, children became part of the scene. So every Sunday, when I took my break from ministry, we would come to Palm Coast so we could be with our kids and our grandkids. I fell in love with Flagler Beach. In fact, I had even this vision. Lord, what it would be like to be Flagler Beach beach pastor. I mean, I would have my beach umbrella, and I, my umbrella, would have all kinds of scripture texts, the Romans Road, the ABCs of Salvation, John 3, 16, and I'd plant my umbrella there. I'd have my beach chair. I'd wear my beach shorts, which would say beach pastor on them, and I would sit down on my beach chair. I'd have my iPhone hooked up to my Bluetooth speakers, play Christian music, and drink my beach lemonade. And I just listened to the sounds of the waves and the smell in the air. Oh, what a life. And if somebody actually did interfere by coming to me and asking a question, I would point them to the umbrella and say, hey, just pick a verse and run with it. <laughs> oh, how we need to repent from that kind of mentality. We have good news. For that teenager that's messed up his or her life, you have the good news to share to help them get back on track. Or that woman or man who just lost their spouse, you have the hope of letting them know that God is still in control. Or that fellow who lost his job and the bills are becoming overwhelming. Let me put it this way. In the time of one's personal famine, when the enemy is encamped all around, literally cutting off the lifeline, you and I should be the bearers of good news because Jesus is the answer. For the first two years of my college education, I attended a Christian college in Greenville, South Carolina. And I got involved with a men's group. There was altogether 15 of us, and they were beautiful singers. When I joined the group, they asked me to sing tenor. 10 or 12 miles away from civilization. <laughs> I am not a singer, but they allowed me to join because I do gospel illustrations. And I was able to go ahead and be part of the team. When we went to churches or events, I would do gospel illustrations for the kids, and they would do the ministry of music and preaching. Well, we got an invitation to go to Myrtle Beach over a weekend to help a pastor start a church. Now, all I heard was Myrtle Beach. Everybody else heard to help a pastor start a church. So they knew we were going there to work. I was going there for Myrtle Beach. Never been. And I know Myrtle Beach is on the ocean. And I'm thinking, I've heard they have great miniature golf courses. So there was just all kinds of things running through my mind but working was not one of them. Also, we left Friday night after somebody took their last course, and the cars that we went in, three cars, five in a car, all looked like they were put together by duct tape and chicken wire. All the way there, we were breaking down. 
What should have been a few hours took us all night. We got there in the wee hours of the morning, kind of crippled in to Myrtle Beach. Got a little bit of sleep, had breakfast. The pastor met with us, and he had the whole town laid out and how we were supposed to canvas it. Five teams of three, and we were going to go to different areas and do door-to-door knocking. Now, let me ask a question. When you were a kid, did you ever run up on a porch, ring a person's bell, and then take off like the Dickens? Yeah, some of you have. I still do that, but I call it evangelism now. (laughs) Door-to-door is not my forte. And let me pose another question. You have three guys coming on your porch. One looks like me. Are you going to answer the door? No. Okay, thank you. (laughs) I really didn't want to answer. It's a rhetorical question. But no, you're not going to answer the door. So we got very little results. We came back for lunch, and everybody began to tell their stories about how great it was and the kind of response they were getting. I'm like, who are you people? I was out there with you. I didn't see these things. So we went out in the afternoon, same thing. Got back in the early evening, was heading back to our motel room, and apparently our motel was also hosting a convention. And as we walked by the pool area, there were people in the pool with their boombox loud, derogatory stories being told, beer cans everywhere, and I thought, Lord, this is a slap in the face. I mean, we worked all day. Well, they did. I was in a pity party because I didn't get to go in the ocean or do anything else. And now we got to go through this. I'm not going to sleep tonight with all this racket going on. And while I was thinking this, one young man from the choir made his way to the pool area, and I still picture him with his fingers in the chain link fence. And he began to sing, Man of Sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And the whole choir gathered around and began to share the rest of the song. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah, what a Savior. When the choir was done singing, there was not a sound in that pool area. They shut the radio off. They stopped their talking. One gentleman opened up the gate and said, man, you need to come in. I think some of us need Jesus. We spent another hour in that area leading some of those people to the Lord that night. And I did apologize to my Lord for my attitude, for my perspective and the way I was viewing things. That night, I went to bed, and I'm still thinking, you know, we're going to meet on the church's, or not the church, he's saying church, it was the pastor's backyard, which was going to be the church, and we're going to meet there, and it's just going to be us and the pastor's family. I still had that perspective, but Sunday came, over 100 people had gathered in the backyard of that pastor's house. After the service, almost 30 people gave their heart to the Lord There was a stream nearby. We marched over the stream, just like you guys marched down to the ocean. We marched over the stream, and they were baptized in their Sunday clothes. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't change clothes. And the service went well into the afternoon. And then we had a limp back to college in those three beat-up cars. 
But I'll tell you, God did an amazing thing because we need to repent of not sharing our faith. We need to repent of not doing what God has called us to do. We are not saved to sit, but to serve. And we cannot stand on God's promises if we're sitting on our premises. And then finally, the leper's observation. There's something in this text that if you look very quickly, you're going to miss. But notice when the lepers got up, what happened? It says at twilight, they got up. At twilight, the Syrians left. They left at the precise moment the lepers moved. Timing is everything. When God impresses your heart to do something, do it. The timing's absolutely necessary. When the Holy Spirit's moving in and convicts you of something you need to do, don't procrastinate, don't argue, do it. Open up your mouth and share if that's what God is calling you to do. You know, I grew up uh, in a very traumatic, dysfunctional, violent home life. When I was five years old, my father came in with a shotgun and started shooting at all of us. Fortunately, we were in the back of the house. My mom was able to get my brother, my sister, and myself out the back door. Well, she heard a little bit later that he was coming back to finish off what he didn't do, and so we ended up being surfed out to different families for a while while my mom was trying to make other arrangements. She ended up divorcing my father but marrying a guy that was just as bad. Now, my stepfather, I would say he loved my mom, but he didn't love the baggage that came with it. And so he would beat us with his fist, electrical cords, whatever he get his hand on, he would beat us. That was my home life. My wife was aware of this as we got married. When my sister became of age, he started raping her. She slept under her bed, knowing that he'd have to move that bed around and make enough noise that he'd wake up the rest of the family members. So fast forward, I'm now in the ministry. I'm pastoring a small church on the St. Lawrence River, Lisbon, New York. I get a phone call that my stepfather has had a massive stroke. My mom says, I need you here, Norm. I need you for support. So we farmed our three kids at the time off to various places, and my wife and I began this eight-hour drive from Lisbon, New York, all the way down to Jamestown, New York. Four hours into this drive, my wife, whom I thought I knew, put her arm over, her hand on my arm, and she said, when are you going to tell your dad about Jesus? Now, you've heard the expression, I love you more today than I did yesterday, because it goes on yesterday, you got on my nerves. <laughs> I want to say I loved you more yesterday than I do right now, because right now you're getting on my nerves. But I didn't say anything. We just kept traveling. I didn't say a word. So a few moments later, she reached over, put her hand on my arm and said, when are you going to tell your stepfather about Jesus? And I said, Penny, he's had many, many pastors come to the house. He has heard through lay people. He's had plenty of opportunity. And I wanted to say, and don't ask me again, but I didn't say that. Not much time went by. She reached over again put her hand on my arm, and she said, I didn't ask any of that. I asked, when are you going to tell your dad? 
about Jesus. And all this ugly stuff that had been kind of buried inside of me came out in the surface. And I said, you don't understand what this man did. You don't understand the damage this man did. If anybody deserves hell, he does. And no sooner did those words pierce my lips, the Holy Spirit came thundering in and saying, Norm Messel, who are you that deserves so great a salvation? Who are you that merit one single drop of blood that was shed on Calvary? Now I'm crying like a baby, going down I-90, 70 miles an hour. I'm surprised my wife said, hold over before we all get killed. <laughs> and I turned to my wife and I said, listen, if he's still alive, when we get there, the very first thing I'll do is go into his room and tell him about Jesus. Well, we arrived. I met my mom, escorted to the room, life support all around him. I reached in and grabbed his hand. I said, Dad, do you know who I am? And he squeezed my hand. And then something happened. I began asking him for forgiveness. I said, Dad, I apologize that I always wasn't the Christian I should have been. I apologize that I did not take the time to tell you about Jesus Christ and what he means to me in, my way of sal- in the way of salvation. And he's squeezing my hand the whole time. I said, would you like to find Jesus as your Savior? Again, a squeeze. I shared scripture with him. I prayed with him. I asked if he asked the Lord into his heart, and all tears were running down his, his cheek. Squeezed my hand even harder. And as I finished, I walked out of that hospital room. I turned to my mom, and I turned to Penny, and I said, it's well. All is well. I'm confident that he accepted the Lord. But that's not the end of the story. The next day, we went back to the hospital, and overnight, God healed him. He was off all life support when we got there the next day. A few machines still hooked up. He was sitting up in his bed, and he could talk. So I walked in. I said, Dad, this is amazing. I said, God, is so good. I go, do you know anything of the conversation yesterday? He said, yes. I said, did you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior? He said, I did. He said, but I need to tell you, I accepted him four hours before you got there. He said, Pastor David Shannon came in and led me to the Lord. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, I just dumped my whole guts out and you were already a Christian. No, I didn't really think that way. Here's what caught my attention. Four hours ago, he gave his heart to Jesus. Four hours, I was on the road arguing with God, and I finally said yes. Let me put it in the way of our story. At twilight, I said yes to God. At twilight, Satan fled that hospital room. You see what I'm saying about timing? When God calls, we need to respond immediately. You know, I believe God has much in store for you folks here at Coastal Family. I feel the best days are ahead of us. Why? Because God is at work, and God's going to do things that you and I can't even possibly begin to imagine. And I believe also you, yourself, desire the best that God can bring into your life. 
But the level to which we spiritually succeed or fail depends on what we do with what we heard today. What is God looking for? He's looking for a life that poses the question, why am I just sitting here? A soul that responds with obedience. What we're doing is not right. We need to share the gospel. And then following through on God's timing and being about God's business. We need to dismantle our comfort seat as we move into 2024. Pastor Adam. Hallelujah. Thank you, Norm. Such wealth in the, in the members of the congregation. And, and they're sitting here, and I just thank God that we have the privilege of hearing and allowing the vessels to pour out what God has placed in their hearts so we may be richer for it. But I sense Holy Spirit has been speaking to us while he's been preaching. And maybe there's a twilight decision that you need to make about forgiving and releasing and letting go. I've heard countless stories of people having relational issues and when they've stopped and decided to forgive, suddenly that person phones them that hasn't spoken for 10 years because something's happened in the spirit. Maybe we just need a moment now to say, God, what what question are you imposing on me? What statement do I need to understand? And what observation do I need to walk away from as we walk into 2024? You just bow your heads and let's just allow Holy Spirit just to speak to us because he's so personal. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And there's some of us that in the sound of this message today is never heard the gospel or maybe have heard the gospel and you sense that today's the day that you're going to say yes. And I think it's wisdom to say yes as you step into 2024 because you have a calling and a purpose on all of our lives. But if you've never said yes to Jesus, invite him in today. Invite him into your life. I did so 44 years ago. And it's amazing what, how you can get in step with God. And you start looking attractive because he comes into your life. And if that's you today, we want to pray with you as a church. We want to pray out loud. Those that are online, invite Jesus into your life. As a good old song says, Jesus, take the wheel. Invite him in to come take the wheel. So pray with us in church. Would you pray out loud and just encourage those that want to pray to pray right now. Say, Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. That you died on that cross for me. Thank you for paying for my sins. Today, I invite you into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. I give my life to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you pray that prayer, 
Drop us a note. Send me a text. Tell a friend. Because I tell you what, the angels in heaven are spinning around under a violent emotion of joy. They're celebrating because you've given your life to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And uh, that's so special. And as we step into this new year, I, I really sense God wants to encourage us to be those people that will walk with God. And what that looks like. And I want to unpack that. And I'll start next week preaching. Again, I cannot tell you I'm longing to get back and preach and be back on a regular basis. I just want to tell you that my heart is very healthy. I put it through the full test with altitude up in Aspen, speed on ice and speed on dirt with my son, thin air. I did all the tests uh, and I'm still alive and so it's good and well. Um, and I just want to warn you, you better put your running shoes on because we're going to be a people that are going to look attractive. Doesn't you, don't, don't you really sense that we, you look a lot more attractive when Jesus is in your life? Because, man, I was a yuck-yuck. I was a miserable sucker. I had a, vi a violent language. And Jesus came in and sort of cleaned up my act. He works at us in such a gentle way. And I just want to say, this new year, I'm excited about where God's going to take. And people are going to look at us and say, we want what you have. Because it makes you attractive. And so let me pray for you and release you. And uh, if we don't see you this evening, then I'm going to see you next year. Hallelujah. So, Father, thank you that we can gather together as a family. We can worship you as we see this year out. And so, Father, we, we anticipate your goodness and your grace to go before us because your mercies are new. And, Father, your, your goodness is great. And we are running with confidence into the 2024, knowing if you be for us, who can be against us? So, Father, we thank you for the countless thousands that will come to Christ in 2024 because your grace is poured out abundantly upon planet Earth. And thank you that we will be instruments of which divine favor flows, preventing misfortune in the lives of others. We thank you that we get to walk with you close and intimately and so that we would see your power working through our lives. And we thank you for that. Bless each one as they go and as we celebrate a, a new year in and thank you for our life that we have in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. There's coffee.